Well, good morning. We are continuing our message series called I Pray as we explore the spiritual practice of prayer. And I don't know about you, but when you hear the word prayer, you sometimes feel guilty for not praying enough or with enough faith. Or it may be there's an answer to prayer that you would really like. Maybe it's for a marriage to be put back together. Maybe you have a child that's a long ways away from God and you want so much for them to come home. Maybe you want deliverance from chronic worry or sadness. Maybe you want healing in your body or your spirit or meaning or direction in your life. And if you find that, if you're honest about it, you don't really pray as often as you should or not as often as you like to think you should. And if that's the case, I want to tell you that you're in the right place today. We're going to spend the whole message talking about only one truth about God. And there's a good chance that many of you are going to think this message is exactly what you needed to hear at this point in your journey. Every person of deep prayer that I've ever known has been marked by this conviction. And on the other hand, people who don't share this conviction will consistently find prayer to be an uphill struggle. Our world, or the culture that we live in, tends to erode this conviction in us, as we will see. People who know God really well are gripped by it, and it is what gives them a sense of security and faith and willingness to risk and an overwhelmed feeling of well-being. And the Apostle Paul had this conviction, and it can be expressed in a single phrase, and we find it in one of the great prayers in the Bible. In the letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus, this is in the third chapter, in the 14th verse, a fabulous prayer. And this is what Paul writes. And as I read these words, receive them as Paul's prayer for you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And here's the conviction. And you know, there's sometimes there are passages in the Bible that are so rich that nothing should be said after it, but I will. Here's the conviction. Now to him who is able, God is able. Our God is able. Your God is able. Able to do what? Able to do whatever needs to be done in this world and in your life. No problem can stop him. No obstacle can thwart him. No circumstance can worry him. No outcome can confuse him. I know that very often the circumstances in which we find ourselves 
The prayers that have not been answered the way that we desperately ache they would can make us tend to doubt this or question this. And then I remember, Paul wrote these words when he was in chains, in prison, suffering, persecuted by Rome, waiting to die. But he didn't write, for this reason I kneel before the Father and pray that out of his glorious riches he get me out of this jail cell. It was this conviction that Paul had that he meant he had precisely the same confidence in a jail cell, jailhouse that he would have in a penthouse. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For my God is able, whatever I'm facing. And I'll tell you, when I give thought to that idea, I'm reminded of a movie that I saw a long time ago called The Bear. Anybody see this movie? Anybody remember that? It was kind of a documentary, and it didn't have very many words. But it was a story of a tiny little bear cub whose mom dies in an accident when he was real little. And you, get a ter- and you feel terrible for the bear because you know it's going to be a struggle to survive. And there's a mountain lion that's been tracking him. But the strangest thing happens. He gets kind of adopted by this great big Kodiak daddy bear. And he just goes through life learning how to live in the protection and care of this adoptive bear father. And whatever this Kodiak daddy bear does, this little bear does too. The cub learns how to grub for insects, learns how to catch fish in the stream, learns how to scratch his back on a tree, just does life with his great big daddy bear. Until one day, they get separated. And that little cub can't see his daddy. And the mountain lion that's been tracking him the whole time has been waiting for this moment. And all of a sudden, the mountain lion comes face to face with that little bear cub. And that little cub, because he doesn't know what else to do, does what he's seen his daddy do in dangerous situations. He gets up on his little hind legs, and he puts his paws in the air, and he lets out what's supposed to be a roar, but it just kind of comes out as a squeak because he's so little. And then the camera goes back to the mountain lion. And you can't stand to look at what's going to come next. Except all of a sudden, that mountain lion gets a look of fear in his face. And he turns his head and slinks away from that little cub. And then the camera goes back to the cub and pans back. And then you see what that little, cub, that little bear cub cannot see. About six feet behind him stands that great big daddy Kodiak bear. And he's on his hind legs, and his paws are up. And he lets out a roar so loud that there's no doubt who's in charge of that little bear cub. And then you know what that little cub did not know. That he has never been on his own. His father, for good reasons, removed himself from that little cub's sight for a while. But he was always watching, and he was perfectly capable What do I need to know about God if I'm going to pray to him? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. And it's like Paul saying, I know, you're going to underestimate this God. The world you live in is going to make you think too little of him. So I want to make this crystal clear to you. I want to dissect this for a moment. Our God is able to do. 
He's not just some cosmic bystander. He is active and involved in his universe. But he's bigger than that. Our God is able to do what we ask. That's one of the reasons why we pray. James says a lot of times you don't have because you do not ask. And we looked at that last week. Our God is able to do, but he's bigger than that. Not just what we ask. He's able to do the stuff we imagine that we don't even think about asking about. But he's even bigger than that. He's not just able to do most of what we ask or imagine. Our God is able to do all that we ask or imagine. And he's bigger than that. He's not just able to do all that we ask or imagine. He's able to do more than we ask or imagine. And he's bigger than that. He's not just able to do a little bit more. Our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And there is nothing that is logically possible and consistent with, our, with his character that our God cannot do. And we need to camp out on this for a while today. Because we live in a world that says the real forces that move reality are political forces and economic forces or the forces of scientific discovery or education. They are limited to human power. So that even if you believe that there's a God, the culture pushes pushes them off to the side, kind of like a cosmic bystander. We will not pray. You will not pray very often if you don't believe in the deepest, darkest place that our God is able. And you will not believe that our God is able if you don't actually spend time thinking about coming to know this God. So we're going to spend some time today reflecting on the God that we meet in the writings of the scriptures, the uniquely authoritative source of information on God. And this God is able to say, let there be light. And there was light. All the physical universe came into being because God willed it to be so. And it was no strain at all on God to do this. It's very important to understand Nothing in science disproves this. There's no study in any peer-reviewed academic journal that has proved anything other than this. In fact, science shows that everything exists that exists has a cause. And that surely includes the universe. The greater the universe, the greater the one that is that created it. And our God is able to create the universe. He could do it with one hand tied behind his back. The problem is, we think we live in a big universe with this little God, kind of like the size of a statue. But that's not reality. The reality of the Bible describes a great big God with a little tiny universe. And he's able to run run the whole thing with no strain at all. Our God is able. What does the Bible teach our God is able to do? Well, he's able to interact with and suspend the laws of nature anytime he wants because he created them. And again, this is reality. This is our God. He's able to part a body of water so people can cross over to dry land. He's able to calm a storm on the sea just by saying the words, Peace, be still. He is Lord over time. So when Israel needs a longer day to win a battle... Moses stands up, raises his hands, and God extends the day. And when Moses gets tired, in a beautiful picture of prayer, Aaron and Hur prop his hands up so that he can keep praying. 
Our God is able to make a day last as long as he wants it to last. Anybody in here ever need more time? Our God is able. He was able to make the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. He was able to make a boy named David defeat a giant named Goliath. He's able to make a drought. He's able to make a flood. He's able to make a rainbow as a signal of his promise. A really great story about God's power over natural causes involves a man named Naaman. This is found in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings in the 5th chapter. You see, Naaman wasn't even an Israelite. He was an Aramean. Wasn't a part of God's people. But he was a very powerful guy. A commander over his forces. But one day, there's this spot on his skin. And in a way that will sometimes happen in the lives of very powerful people, he realized that he's been living in the illusion of control. And he can't do anything about his leprosy. And he ends up as desperate people sometimes do end up, turning to God. He goes to Israel, to the prophet Elisha, and he stands in front of Elisha's house begging for help. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He sends a messenger out to tell Naaman to go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be healed. Look at the response. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. So puffed up over his own importance, he's offended that Elisha won't come out face to face. And he starts dissing the Jordan River. Don't we have better than this in Damascus? I'm not going to wash off in that. And Elisha's servants come out and say, Look, you know, if you had been given some real impressive assignment, you would have done it. So why don't you just humble yourself and obey God? And Naaman does. Dips seven times in the River Jordan and comes out clean. Our God is able to heal. Our God is able to cleanse a leper. And God's power is not limited to the laws of nature. Again, this is reality. This is our God. Our God is able to bring deliverance from impossible situations. And some of you are facing one right now. He's able to deliver Daniel from a lion's den. He's able to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. He's able to deliver a boy named Joseph from Pharaoh's prison, a boy named David from Saul's anger, Israel from Egyptian slavery, Esther from Haman's genocide, Eliza from Jezebel, Paul from a Philippian jail. Anybody in here need deliverance? Our God is able. Not just that. Our God is able to provide. He's able to give manna to feed people every day for 40 years. He's able to bring water out of a dry rock. He's able to take two fish and five loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people and have 12 baskets left over. And the Apostle Paul, who knows what it is to experience great hunger, says, our God is able to provide your every need. Not only that, God is able to change um, the, the hearts of men and women. 
He's able to soften the hard heart of Pharaoh in order to release the Jews. He's able to strengthen the frightened heart of Gideon to defend his people. He's able to take a genocidal zealot named Saul and make him into a self-sacrificing missionary named Paul. He's able to take an impulsive denier named Simon and make him into a rock-solid leader named Peter. That's our God. He's able to forgive sin. Now you think about this for a moment. What does it mean to be guilty before a righteous God? I think about the guilt that gets stirred up in me in a basic human level. Anybody know that feeling when you see police lights flashing in your rearview mirror? I know Amber does. (laughs) Amber was leaving this very building not too long ago. And she got pulled over because her license plate registration was overdue by 15 hours. You want to know how I know it was 15 hours overdue? Because the ticket she got said 3 o'clock p.m., 15 hours after that registration had expired. Now, to be fair, I've seen those lights. We're not keeping score here, hon. Now, I've seen those lights, and I've experienced that guilt. Now, you think about standing before a just, holy, righteous God who has never sinned. And you think about the mess that we've made of this world. All you have to do is pick up your phone or fire up your computer or open up and read a newspaper. You think about wars and hatred. But then, what's in my heart and in my mouth? You think about this the next time you're lying awake at 2 o'clock in the morning because of something you said or something that you did that you wish you could take back. And then you think about those things that ought to burn inside of us, but they don't because we're so blind. Our God is able in Jesus to become human and to suffer on a cross and to purchase our pardon and to cleanse our guilt and to free us from the penalty of the law. Only God can do this. You know, we can forgive each other for the things we do. Nobody can cleanse me from my guilt but God. And if you've never asked him to do this, you can do that today. Not only that, but the power of God that we see in the Bible has never diminished. This is the nature of God. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. His power does not diminish. His strength does not end. He's able to take a man who's been trapped by alcohol for years and give him sobriety. I've seen it happen. He's able to take a marriage that's been devastated by betrayal and hurt and hatred and put it back together. And I've seen it happen. He's been able to take a man who has been disgraced, undone by scandal and sin, and make him into a new creature. He's able to come alongside a family that has been crushed by the news of a terminal illness so that they can face the future with truth and hope that death does not get the last word. He's able to heal brokenness. He's able to reconcile relationships. He's able to give wisdom. He's able to provide meaning. He's able to breathe hope. 
He is able to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and promise a resurrection to this sorry, dark, dying world. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. And if you've ever wanted to say amen in the church, today's a great day to do it. But there's another important part about God's character that comes into play at this very point. And I think a lot of us would say somewhere in that real deep place inside of us, I believe there is a God. And if there's a God, then it stands to reason He is able to do extraordinary things. I'm just not sure He's able to do them for me. I don't know. Maybe my faith is too weak. Maybe I don't pray enough. Maybe I'm not spiritual enough. Maybe my motives are too impure. So here's what's so amazing about Paul's prayer. Our God is able. Paul says, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart. Not somebody else's. In your heart through faith. Now, this is the power. This is the authority. This is the master who created and runs the universe. Paul says, I pray that you might know this reality because it doesn't always come easy to us. And here's the thing that I just can't stop thinking about. Our God is big enough to create the universe and he's small enough to dwell in your heart. Broken, messed up, rebellious, selfish hearts. And God wants to make a home right there. Isn't that crazy? And if you haven't asked God to make a home in your heart, you can do that today. Nobody fully understands this, but he will be close to you. He will be with you. Our God is able. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Now, this is what's so striking, and this word goes so deep. And sometimes churches and preachers twist it so that it's about getting money or health or circumstances. Paul doesn't pray about any of that stuff here. You know, we bring all of our circumstances to God. We do that. We pray about those things, but that's not the prayer here. That's not the deepest prayer. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's just beyond anybody's ability to understand what a loving God our God is. That not just that there's a powerful God who is able But he's so immersed in love that he's incapable of unlove. I don't know any other way to say this. God is love. And sometimes Christians say things like, isn't it amazing that God would love someone like us? No, it's not. What would be amazing is if God didn't love somebody like you. For God, for one instant... To cease to be loving, that would be amazing. That would be a departure unseen from all eternity. 
Because God knows the goodness of living and the reality of love. The desire to desire what is best for every creature. What could ever pull God away from that existence? It's not amazing that God loves people. What would be amazing would be for one moment for God to not love. Because it's not about how lovable we are. It's about how loving God is. And because there's so much other than love inside me, it's hard to understand that God's the kind of being from whom love is just his nature. And if any human being will give God just half a chance, and sometimes we won't, but if we will, God loves. And love wins. And God is able today, right now, and here's the deal. Our talking about this, even our affirming this, doesn't mean we know it like Paul means to know. That means to do it, to live it out in our everyday lives. So we're going to do what Paul says. We're going to kneel before the Father, and we're going to pray. And the question is, where do you want to see God at work in your life? What burdens are you carrying? This may involve relationships or career stuff or school stuff or addictions or heartache. Just hand it over to God. And the next question is, where do you want to see God at work in others' lives? Maybe this means your family or your coworkers or your classmates or teammates or your neighbors. And every time you see these people, Treat it like a reminder that you are willing their good by going to God on their behalf. Because our community of El Dorado needs prayer. The real mystery lies in the timing and the means. So I don't know when. And I don't know how. I just know this. Our God is able. Would you pray with me? Oh God, creator and giver of life. There are things that are going on in our lives and in our world that need your help. We are faced with disappointment and heartache and tragedy and sickness. And sometimes, God, we're not sure where to turn. So today we commit that we journey in the dark valleys of life and we turn to you for help. Because you are able. When we watch the news and witness the problems that plague our world, and we experience those feelings of helplessness and hopelessness, may we act as intercessors on their behalf and ask you to bring healing and restoration. And our prayer today is that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.